Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at CAMH.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get. For just $2 a month, that is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Paytm Canada. You can pay all of your bills at once with this app. And while you're at it, you can get up to 15% cash back in gift cards to Amazon or other places where it's pretty much just like cash. As soon as you sign up with the Canada Land code, you will get $10 in Paytm cash. You can immediately put that towards a bill. Download Paytm Canada for your phone. This episode is also brought to you by Lyft, the fastest growing rideshare company in America is also here in Canada now, GTA Toronto for starters. Lyft is preferred by drivers and passengers for its safe and friendly experience and its commitment to affecting positive change in the future of our cities. And for Canadaland listeners who haven't checked this out yet, you'll get a free $15 credit on your first ride if you enter the offer code Canadaland in Lyft. Or you could just visit lyft.com slash invite slash Canadaland and you'll get your 15 bucks there. Terms and conditions apply. Lyft. It matters how you get there. Denise Balkasun of the Globe and Mail. Hi. Hello. We are going to talk today about the Canadian media's strange habit of attacking dead kids. Mm -hmm. And we are going to talk about the sexual harassment allegation against Steve Pakin, which will be strange for me because, full disclosure, he is somebody who I know and like, but works work. Welcome to Canada Land Shortcuts. Thanks for having me. This episode is brought to you by John Godward, Matthew Root, Sam Turcott, Paul Billows, Julie Barnes, Aaron Bergstrom, Peter McKinney, 
and Alana Rev. My name is Alana. I'm a hairstylist in Calgary. Journalists must be vigilant as to the responsibility, and we as a society must support their efforts to do this job to the best of their abilities. And Denise, as I mentioned, this episode is brought to you by Paytm Canada, this payment app that is massively popular all over the world, and it's made here in Canada. They make the tech here, but they're just rolling it out in Canada now. Paytm puts all of your bills in one place and then gives you incentives and offers. Like, we get cash back on credit card purchases. Why not get cash back on your bill payments as well? It does a lot more than that, but that is what they want you to know about them for starters. It is incredibly convenient, and uh, they think that you will think so too if you try it, so they're just giving away free money. As soon as you sign up to Paytm using the Canada Land code, you get $10 in credit on their app and you can immediately put that towards your cell phone payments or anything else. So that's just $10 if you have bills and we all do, they're giving that to you. Paytm Canada, check it out. Okay, Denise, uh, this is, I think our first topic is heavy enough that we should probably warn people that this uh, involves really graphic content about the murder of children and things like that. So please know that before we proceed. We're going to talk about the coverage right. of the trial of Raymond Cormier, mm-hmm. a uh, 55-year-old who was standing trial for uh, the murder of Tina Fontaine. And she was 15 when she died. So the Globe and Mail had a headline, Tina Fontaine had drugs, comma, alcohol in system when she was killed. Mm-hmm. I mentioned one aspect of why that was awful. Like, I, I just can't think of or imagine that other murder victims who are not indigenous. I can't imagine, um, as I said, you know, Honey Sherman, right. her toxicology results being a headline in the Globe. Right. That is a, a distinction on racial lines. It seemed like that's something that would happen to an indigenous victim and not, not to a white victim. Right. I mean, it might happen to a poor white street person. I suppose that's possible. Yeah. yeah. The Honey Sherman, there's a classist aspect right. of that as well. There was, I think, a much more well-articulated and thorough condemnation of that headline from the Assembly of Manitoba Chiefs. Right. And I'll read from that. The death of Tina Fontaine was the first time in the country that non-Indigenous people saw more than just another dead Indian. They saw a child, a child that had been horrendously murdered and discarded without a thought for what her life was and may become. The Globe and Mail's headline serves to erase these memories from the public collective and replace them with the thought that she is just like the rest of them, another dead Indian. Explicitly in this letter from the Manitoba chiefs to the Globe and Mail's editor-in-chief, David Walmsley, they cite racism. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't use the word racism, but I think it's pretty explicit. They say that the the headline upheld negative stereotypes about First Nations, and they said that as long as headlines like these run, First Nations will always be seen as lesser than. Mm-hmm. So they were calling out the Globe and Mail, uh, not just for the victim-blaming aspect, but for the racism of that headline. And, and the Globe and Mail changed the headline. Expert tells Winnipeg murder trial he could not determine the cause of Tina Fontaine's death. Right. Which is not only the less victim-blamey, less racist headline, but it's actually more accurate mm-hmm. to what was newsworthy. Right. I'll just continue to tell the media story of this before you and I talk about it. So, so the Glo- Globe and Mail... Public editor Sylvia Stead Mm -hmm. writes her response. The headline is Remembering the Victims. And I'll read from that. A number of readers complained that the story was victim-blaming. The story and headline on the testimony read harshly to some when written about a young woman who died tragically, and especially to those family members. At the same time, it showed her as a vulnerable person, Mm -hmm. 
part of a criminal trial involves a defense and questions raised that may seem unfair to the victim, and that is part of the open court system. I think she's writing there in defense of their headline. And then she sandwiches in, this column is not just about their Tina Fontaine coverage, but also that readers had a problem with the Bruce MacArthur coverage. They were showing this alleged serial killer's photo too much. Right. So she, so this is, she concludes, these are both good reminders from the readers to be respectful of the victims while at the same time covering all the news from trials and police investigations. Sylvia Stead does not mention racism. Mm -hmm. She responds purely to the idea that they had, had been involved in victim blaming. And while she says, well, we'll keep in mind your complaints, there's no apology. Mm -hmm. uh, she also points out that this was a wire story that the Globe and Mail picked up. And, and I think there's some sense of we're not fully solely responsible. You also responded in the Globe and Mail. Right. What did you have to say? Uh, I had actually wanted to write about the Fontaine trial before the toxicology reports. Um, not even criticizing the criminal justice system, although I have many criticisms, um, but just showing that how it unfolds can be so awful. And the toxicology part, the toxicology part that came up for me was that in order, so the reason that she, her body was being tested for drugs and alcohol um, is because Raymond Cormier's defense wants to argue that she died from that, not she wasn't murdered. So in order to get a sample or to figure out what was in her system, um, they took a sample of her chest cavity fluids, which is just, you know, like gruesome and terrible. And so while I was already thinking about that, a lot of criticisms started to come up, mostly of the Globe, because it is a huge paper and a national publication. Um, also of the Hamilton Spectator, which didn't even use her name. They just called her Dead Girl. I believe the Winnipeg no, am I getting the paper wrong? No, I think the Winnipeg Free Press um, and also CBC, like a lot of publications were just saying what the toxicology report was. As the headline. Yes. Yeah, that, that was in the Winnipeg Free Press. Yeah. yeah. And so that started to come up as I was already thinking about writing about the autopsy process mm -hmm. being just another way of traumatizing everyone involved. When I was listing all the ways that this teenager had been re- um, I don't even know what the word is. Her memory re-victimized, yeah. disrespected. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I put in a mention of headlines and I put in a mention of the Globe's headline. Mm -hmm. um, and I was wondering, you know, none of my editors asked me anything about it. It just went through. So, you know. The one thing I learned from your column, I mean, I, I haven't been following this trial yeah. terribly closely. And, you know, looking at this from the perspective of hard-nosed reporters, look, we've got this public trial. We have to report the facts. Yeah. A lot of Sylvia Stead's justification. Even within that... I learned from you, mm -hmm. okay, we learned that she had alcohol and drugs, well, THC, in, in yeah. her system, not only because, as you say, his defense, the alleged murderer's defense said, have an autopsy, go into her chest cavity, get the fluid, and, and look at it because we want to see if she had enough drugs in her system that we can get our guy off the hook, Yeah, that she died from drugs. But they couldn't conclude that. Right. They could not conclude that she died from drugs or alcohol. Yeah. That seems like the headline to me. Right. Right. Like, like, isn't that the point? Not Forget about even being nice or, you know, uh, for the purpose of the conversation. Let's say you don't give a damn about victim blaming and you don't give yeah. a damn about the racial elements. You just want to have a, a, a find the most important part of your trial coverage and make that a headline. It would be that this defense seems to have come up empty. 
Um, I mean, one last thing I'll say about the Globes coverage is the reason we are running CP stories is partly because um, Catherine Blazebaum, who did such amazing reporting on Tina Fontaine um, pre-trial, um, is on that leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I just personally wish she was there covering the trial. And I think that she would probably be writing her own headlines, which I tried to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you and I got into a, a, a minor yeah. Twitter uh, you know, yeah. uh, kerfuffle over that because I, I felt that, though I felt like, oh my God, mm-hmm. what you said in that piece needed to be said and it needed to be said in the Globe, just to read after the original offending headline in the Globe and Mail yeah. and Sylvia Stead's, I think, v- completely insufficient response, to read a headline saying, and here is your headline, even after death, Canada denies Tina Fontaine dignity. Mm-hmm. My thought was, oh, come on, Globe and Mail. Mm-hmm. You denied Tina Fontaine dignity. You're the ones, the Globe and Mail newspaper, who ran that original thing and who and who wouldn't take responsibility for it. And I've learned the hard way, don't blame reporters for their headlines. They're usually written by editors. But in fact, you wrote this headline. Yeah. Did you feel that that was not, like, before you talk about the wider shared responsibility, mm-hmm. the Globe and Mail has to, somebody... Yeah, but I have no, you know, say in that. And so... Um... Like, I mean, I didn't talk to anyone other than my opinion editor about what I was going to write. And at the time that I pitched it, I wasn't even going to write. Like, the headlines hadn't even become an issue. It was, like, for me about the autopsy. I see. Um, the controversy, the the, yeah. the chief's letter. The, oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it quickly, like, it was, you know, within hours. I was like, oh, this definitely has to be added. I really, this is, I really just selfishly was thinking about what I wanted to say. Yeah. And I also, I'm not trying to get the globe off the hook as much as, I just truly think this entire country needs like a reckoning about how indigenous people have been treated and portrayed since the beginning. I think that's really true. And I think that we're not just talking about a headline or two. Mm-hmm. And we're not just talking about a headline or a hundred, because like what's interesting to me about this is not standing here and, and, and calling somebody else a dirty racist, right? Yeah. Like, like whoever wrote that headline of the Globe Mail, the original about you yeah. know, drugs and alcohol found in her bloodstream. I doubt they're a horrible person. I doubt that they're like some sort of virulent racist. This is about unconscious bias. This is like mm-hmm. the definition of we didn't know when we wrote that. We weren't trying to be racist. With, yeah. You know, these things that are embedded in people that are reflected in the way that these things get covered. Yeah. And I think we've seen it in the coverage of the Gerald Stanley trial, the Saskatchewan farmer. Mm-hmm. who is on trial for the death of Colton Bushy. And CBC's headline was, Gerald Stanley murder trial judge advises jury on contradictory testimony. That's just a statement of fact. The judge right. advised them. And the Globe also had a headline, witnesses in Gerald Stanley trial admit to changing stories yeah. since the shooting of Colton Bushy. Now, that is also a statement of fact. They admitted to having inconsistent testimony. And to remind people what we know about this, Colton Bushy was off with a bunch of his buddies. They say they had car trouble. It seems like they did have car trouble. They they say that their original story was that was the only reason why they came on the Stanley farm. The Stanleys say, no, they were trying to steal stuff. Mm-hmm. That's some of the disputed aspect of this. What is not disputed is that the Stanleys came out, saw them as a threat, chased them off their property. Stanley's son smashed the back windshield of their vehicle. Gerald Stanley went back inside, got his gun, mm-hmm. a handgun, came out fired three shots, and the third one killed Colton Bushy at point-blank range in the back of his head. Mm-hmm. Those those are facts of this. What was inconsistent was the original thing 
some of those young indigenous kids said about whether they'd been drinking or not or whether they were trying to steal anything or not. There was one uh, bit of testimony that might have been more relevant than that, where one of the young women who was present um, had changing testimony about who she saw holding a gun. Mm-hmm. Now, that might be a really important bit of inconsistent testimony, except for the fact that there is no dispute from the defense right. that Gerald Stanley was the one who was holding the gun that killed Colton Bushy. And, and what the defense says is that his story is the gun went off by itself, that, right. that, that he did not intend to shoot him, that it was a malfunction of the gun. That same day in court, a RCMP firearms expert said there was no sign of mechanical misfunction with the handgun. Mm-hmm. How is that not the headline? You know, like, if you're just looking for the most important thing that happened that day, yeah. that is crucial to the defense. He says that the gun malfunctioned. The expert says, no, there's no sign of that. You would think that would be the headline. Like, we have to ask ourselves, why did we pick this thing about his friends? Like, the guy said, I didn't, right. want, my, 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 I didn't want my driver's license, license taken away, so I didn't tell them how drunk I was. Yeah. And that's the headline, which colors people's c- perception of the whole thing. And you can, and like, like a slow-moving train wreck, I, I, f- I dread that Stanley is going to be acquitted completely. And the country will say, well, those witnesses... They were unreliable. I mean, I don't know if we have to worry too much about the jury technically they're not supposed to be reading any coverage, right? Right. So, um, No, no, we're talking about public perception. Yes, yeah. but we're, so like whether or not he gets acquitted or found guilty or, you know, lesser charge um, shouldn't rely on the coverage. But in terms of like playing into existing stereotypes of indigenous people and indigenous kids, that's, yeah, it's definitely a problem. I'm actually just thinking about the atrocious public debate we're going to have if Stanley gets off where mm-hmm. there will just be this sense of like, yeah, you know, the witnesses were unreliable. Who knows what those kids were up to? Yeah. If it is okay to shoot an indigenous young man in the back of the head as he's trying to leave your property, who's posing no threat to you, if that is something that like our criminal justice system cannot yeah. do anything about, we should all be really concerned. Yes. Um, and I think this is another reason we need more Indigenous journalists. In the Saskatoon Star Phoenix, there's a Cree columnist, Doug Cuthand is his name. Mm-hmm. And so he wrote a column that was about how what a witness has to do in trial is so at odds with Indigenous rituals around death. And so, for example, you don't look at a picture of someone after they've died. I don't know if that's for a prescribed period of time. You don't say their name. And one of the witnesses, when asked to act out what was happening, was like, I can't do that. That is, like, so disrespectful to my friend who has died. It's a cultural taboo that, and it might read to a jury and to newsreaders as... An unreliable witness. Yeah, these witnesses are breaking down. They don't want to look at the picture. They won't do these things. They're not cooperative. And I mean, that's something I didn't know until you asked me to come on the show. And I was like, I should see what Indigenous people are writing and, um, you know, outside of social media. And so... Yeah, among the many messes of this, like, can we please get more indigeneity in Canadian newsrooms? The Saskatoon Star Phoenix with Doug Cuthand, with Betty Ann Adam writing for them, like, it does make for, forget about representative, and, yeah. and it's better coverage. It's more informed, substantive, interesting coverage that helps you understand things Yeah, because they have indigenous people writing for that paper. Yeah, it adds necessary details. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. 
They are not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible, heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Denise, let's duly note yeah. some stuff. Okay. I'll say something good about the Globe and Mail. <laughs> All right. The federal government of Canada has paused approving permits for arms exports to Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. And I attribute that, like, I don't know, 99% right. to Steve Chase's reporting. Uh, I guess Daniel Turp, the uh, academic slash former uh, politician, uh, his lawsuits probably have something to do with it as well. But but Stephen Chase has been diligently on the story that nobody cares about. Like he, yeah. he cannot get traction on this story for the life of him. But but it's and, huge and to the Globe's commitment uh, yeah. credit. They've been running these consistently, and and the federal government has like I think because of that stopped giving these killing machines to Saudi Arabia after they have been like filmed suppressing. Uh, their own people and and killing people and, and involved in a illegal conflict in Yemen and uh, yeah so that uh, you know journalism uh, it works kind journal- of journalism sometimes. can sometimes sort of work <laughs> of course now we're arming the Philippines with right. uh, yeah but you know one thing yeah. at a time yeah duly noted what do you have well I mean for myself I wrote a column about Justin Timberlake this morning duly note your column please <laughs> yes I love that column I think you might have started a meme yeah tell people what, what well um, it's so interesting like Justin he's just having a really fast fall when he was invited to be on the Super Bowl again it all started because everyone's like remember how you were there with Janet Jackson and then she had to take all the heat and you ignored it and ignored her and let her take the fall and had a great couple of years there so that was the first thing when he got invited to the Super Bowl and then his album came out like two weeks ago three weeks ago maybe just one week ago man of the woods have you listened to it I haven't I just chuckled <laughs> at the title like it's I was like really man terrible. of the and then I'm like oh no I get it your name is Timber Lake You're- well but people are also saying he's trying to get in on the mega crowd like the back to the roots America crowd yeah and a lot of people expected like a country album and there's a couple like country-ish songs but mostly pop hip-hop beats the way that he's been doing anyway it's very bad like the 
the lyrics are really embarrassing. So I just wrote that watching <laughs> Justin fall after all these years of him working with other talented people, but sort of like, you know, he's been accused for a very long time of appropriating African-Americanness, but not actually sticking up for African-Americans all the times that they needed it. And I just wrote that maybe it's time for us to look at all the guys that we think are so awesome and accept that they're just mediocre. And I said that for so long, people such as myself, I get this in my email all the time, that I'm a diversity hire um, and that I only have a job because the Globe and other places I've worked with need to look diverse these days. Um, let's accept that a lot of guys are mediocrity hires. Mediocrity hires. Yeah. Going pretty blazes, and what I would like to duly note is that a lot of men who are writing me to stick up for Justin Timberlake, I'm going to make an educated guess that they actually also slag music seen as girl music. So whether that's In Sync and other boy bands, whether that's early Drake, I'm I'm going to take a guess that these guys, once upon a time, thought that Justin wasn't cool, it wasn't tough, and now all of a sudden that I have decided that he's mediocre, they have to stick up for him, he's like suddenly of their tribe. Duly noted. I'll duly note my own sense of like, you know that feeling when you're like, haha, good one, and then you realize the joke might be on you? Oh, well. Like when I read Mediocrity Hire, I'm like, <laughs> oh, that's good. I'm like, oh, wait a second. I could totally be considered. And then I realized nobody's hired me, so yeah. I, I can't be a Mediocrity Hire. I, I mean, it's funny, right? Like if you feel a little nervous about something like that, why is that? Because I will say that myself and lots of other people that I know, like, the digs about being a diversity hire, they get to you. Like, yeah. they make you think they definitely have put doubt in my mind in the past. And so take that, mediocrity hires. You can feel a little unsettled for a day. I have one last one. People have been asking us to look into uh, this disappearing story that uh, Zoe Whittall, the wonderful novelist and poet and um, comedy writer and journalist, wrote for The Walrus. She wrote this piece about... Uh, sexism and Canlit mm -hmm. that a lot of people uh, thought was a great piece and uh, and then it just disappeared from the Walrus's website and you know spiked pieces disappearing pieces pieces that yeah. uh, go away without explanation is something that Canada Land looks at and what I can say about it for now is just that there was material in that piece that I think would be considered contentious to Stephen Galloway and he is known for quick legal responses mm -hmm. since his troubles and, you know, I don't know if Margaret Atwood might maybe had a problem with it. Uh, so if Margaret Atwood involved with Penn Canada, uh, you know, I guess we'll find out if her legal representation had problems with this piece. And that's why something was unpublished. But it also needs to be said that there were like, I don't know, spelling errors in the piece. It's possible like you would think that that legal vetting would happen before they publish. Right. We'll see if that piece uh, remains unpublished. And, and, you know, thanks to wonderful Internet snapshots and, and caches, we can compare the original piece to uh, if, if anything reemerges, and then we can infer from that what was controversial or problematic for the walrus about this piece. So uh, stay tuned for more on that. Duly noted. Don't call Margaret Atwood all-powerful. She doesn't like it. Okay, uh, we have one more sponsor to thank today, and that is Hover. Who does not need a domain name? I need domain names with some frequency, and when you're getting a domain name, it's often this like last thing. It shouldn't be the last thing you do when you're trying to launch a project. It should be the first thing that you do. You should put a lot of thought into it because it is really part of your brand. And with Hover, you can choose from over 400 domain extensions. .me, you can use that one. Uh, for a portfolio website, that's pretty good. And it also allows you to get uh, domains that you won't be able to get .coms for. But there's 399 and more other domains with Hover. The reason why you should do it with Hover is that it is very simple to use and they won't 
upsell you. They won't try to charge you for things like privacy that are free for them. So why should you pay for it? They're not skeezy like a lot of domain uh, providers. And you'll get 10% off all domain extensions offered for your entire first year when you go to hover.com slash CanadaLand and check out the deals at Hover. It is time to get your portfolio website up and running. Check it out. Hover.com. Promo code CanadaLand. We have some breaking news on Steve Pakin. He is, of course, the host of TVO's The Agenda. Former Toronto mayoral candidate Sarah Thompson is accusing him of sexual harassment. Thompson alleges he made sexually harassing comments at a lunch in 2010. Steve Pakin is speaking out and having to defend his reputation a day after sexual harassment claims against the TVO host became public. The allegations were posted online by Sarah Thompson. The former Toronto mayoral candidate says an unnamed TV host, who has since been identified as Pakin, allegedly propositioned her back in 2010 during a lunch along with her assistant. Pakin alerted TVO and the public broadcaster has hired a third party to investigate the claims, which have not been proven in court. Okay, Denise, this is going to be uh, tricky, but I'm going to do my best. And I, I start with the disclosure here that uh, Steve Pakin is somebody who uh, I, I would say is I'm very friendly with, though not friends and like we don't like go and grab beers, but uh, encountered him professionally when TVO picked up my old show, Search Engine. He was a wonderful guy and, and I have very warm feelings towards him, which, uh, you know, I don't know. Is this what, like this is a borderline one where like, do I recuse myself from talking about this at all? I'm going to try to just uh, make this on the level of disclosure and not recusal with the uh, worry that this is going to be my like Lena Dunham moment where right. all of a sudden when it happens to somebody that I like and the circumstances of this make that a very real possibility that I'll be accused of that. I don't know. Now, the Toronto Star in reporting on this said, OK, well, Thompson said in the email that her whole campaign knew about this. Let's talk to people on her campaign. They spoke to several people on her campaign who said they knew nothing about this. She says that she called her campaign co-manager. So they spoke to one of the co-managers. Mm -hmm. That co-manager says, this is news to me. I haven't heard anything about this. Mm -hmm. I believe it's the other campaign co-manager who has not responded. So maybe right. that's the one that Thompson is thinking of when she says she called. But, of course, if you're trying to investigate something like this, there is a witness. Right. Right? There is this assistant that Thompson is citing who heard this firsthand. Right. That assistant is not somebody who the media can find. Yes. Thompson says that she has a statement Assumedly from the assistant, but that, that's not... But she's not... not naming the person now because she's talking to her lawyer. Also, in the Toronto Star story about this, there is context provided that Sarah Thompson in, in 2002 offered to sleep with Conrad Black in exchange for an interview. And in 2013, she told the Star that that was a joke, mm -hmm. which seems credible to me that that was a joke. Mm -hmm. And here's this thing where as soon as somebody makes an allegation... You know, you could see this as like, let's comb through her past to discredit her and find out things. And, and it's a tricky catch-22 because people who are considered not credible or wacky are also people who are likely to be targets for predators right. because they know that they won't be believed. In this case, I don't think the star was doing any kind of um, untoward. Like, that is very relevant context. It's something so specific mm -hmm. um, that Thompson had made this joke about sleeping with Conrad Black in exchange for an interview and then accuses Pakin of propositioning her just for the same. Based on that, I thought, like, this is just going to turn out to be a misunderstanding. Like, that was my, my, my gut. It's right. like, Pakin was making a joke about that Conrad Black thing. I can't fathom Steve Pakin 
propositioning. Now I know that that that's worthless. That like, oh, I know this guy. He would never. No, a, a dude knowing a dude saying he would never do that is worthless because we know from the Weinstein and many other and Louis C.K. Men do things with women and with vulnerable women that their friends and other men would right. never know about. But on a level of logic, the idea that Pakin would proposition Sarah Thompson like that, if you have sex with me, you can come onto the agenda, in front of. A witness, I'm just like, well, he's not a complete idiot. Right. It would it would seem like a stupid thing to do, but yeah. men do stupid things all the time. They do. But Pakin has now come out with his own statement. He says, 100% false. Didn't happen at all. No joke was made. Well, he also said uh, that he knows Sarah Thompson, and he's known her for a very long time. And so he calls her by her first name near the end, and he says, Sarah, you have defamed me, which starts suggesting legal action, to use the term defamed. It is certainly a suggestion. I, I, I think that that is a very explicit use of language, that yeah. that, that is sort of like... Flawed. I mean, so, number one, he says that he wrote it himself without any lawyers, etc. But I, I would imagine that he ran it by TVO before he posted it on Facebook. Yeah, well, what did you... Tell me, I've been talking for a while about this. Like, What have you made of this whole thing? What have you made of, of Pakin's response? Uh, as this has played out, what are your thoughts? Uh, I mean... Never say never about any allegation. Mm-hmm. Um, I said last week when when Patrick Brown um, resigned that, in my mind, it was still about maintaining the same systems, right? So right now, there's a lot of men being let go from places or being forced to resign. And it, while on one hand, that's heartening, on the other hand, I don't think it's because people are starting necessarily to believe women or to believe survivors. I think that it's about protecting the same institutions. It's about legal protection more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And I think that TVO must have made a legal judgment in terms of whether they could keep Haken on. I also think that given the allegations are not violent or persistent, that this is actually not... I, I would like to know who these third-party investigators are, by the way, everywhere. Yeah. Like, that's one thing I would like to know. <laughs> that's a booming business, I'd imagine, right now. Yeah. Um, but I think that an investigation of an allegation of this of this nature is, like, the appropriate response. I don't think that he should have been asked to resign. Um, he perhaps should have been suspended, but I don't think a firing was in order. And if we want these things to go forward, this is what we need. We need to figure out how to investigate things and how to... A couple weeks ago, I wrote about a book that I read last year called Conflict is Not Abuse. And it's like, if we stop wanting to always punish someone, and I would like to take off the table right now, like violent allegations or allegations of things that are persistent and ongoing over time. Like if we stop for things that seem more murky... If we stop wanting to punish someone all the time and and instead try to figure out, like, why do different parties feel wronged and how can they feel less wronged or, re- or repaired, fixed after, that's what we need. Some kind of restorative. Yeah. Yeah, because we're in this stage now where it just it, it's... Uh... Blame someone, fire someone. Yeah, and, and as yeah. we kind of like, okay, the, the real animals and predators just need to be, you know, yes. if, if you're raping, if you're... Uh, we're, we're, we're looking at – and we should be looking at things like yeah. sexual uh, relationships and dynamics between yes. you know, things that the Yezzies and sorry thing. Like that should be written about, but the idea that everything ends with uh, you're done, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that – I just think it's not realistic, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, Aziz Ansari, as if people that I know haven't done crummy things like that. And so do I want to never speak to them again? Like I wouldn't have any male friends left kind of thing, you know? And so 
uh, number one, we need to teach boys and young people and young men not to do that. And number two, we also have to figure out how to repair yeah. the guys that have grown up that way. And all of this fear of the false accusation. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, show me this woman who's just making shit up. You know, there's a few isolated real outlier cases that will happen eventually. Mm-hmm. And what the mechanism is for that and how that kind of like pollutes the whole pool and like it makes it hard for victims. Yeah. I worry about that. I don't know which case it's going to be. I mean, I think that just as predatorial men have not so far polluted the pool for all men. Yeah. False accusations, which are few and far between, we need to learn that they shouldn't pollute the pool for all survivors. Like, that's really, yeah, that's what I want. And we can develop standards as well, because you're right in saying that otherwise sane and rational men do completely irrational things when it comes to sex and, and abuses of power. But men who do that, I think, I mean, there's no math to this. There's no, mm-hmm. like, you know, absolute rule. But men who do that, are acting compulsively and people who act compulsively rarely act compulsively once. Mm-hmm. And so the greatest insurance against the woman scorned making shit up is usually that as soon as an accusation comes out, if it's credible, other accusations come forward as well. To bring this back to this case, mm-hmm. I am not going to say a lot of people have said, I'm Steve Pakin's friend. He didn't do this. You don't know that a hundred percent. Like I can't yeah. say that a hundred percent, but I will say that if he did do this, I can't imagine he's only done it once. Yeah. That's your Canada Land Shortcuts. Email me about it. I'm a jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send me. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. Denise, where can people find you? At Balkasoon, which has two S's and two O's. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash CanadaLand, and you can find us on Facebook, like our Facebook page. Our stories will end up in your newsfeed. There is an excellent episode of The Imposter up this week, and I learned on this episode that there were people who followed Funkadelic around the way that white people followed around the Grateful Dead. That is my favorite fact of the week. Check out The Imposter. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do, please support us on Patreon. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil. 
A Campside Media Original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.